Matthew chapter 4, and I'm just going to read verses 8 through 11, and hopefully we can recover some things from the morning message as we seek to finish out this little mini-series on our Lord being led to be tempted. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. I was mentioning to my wife this afternoon how I was just meditating on the amount of strength that the man, Jesus, our Lord, had in the midst of this temptation. You had the full arsenal of the evil one coming against Jesus. And not only did he recognize it, he stood and he resisted. And when we think about how little it takes for us to succumb to these categories of temptation, it really, the power that is involved, and I think the power that we ought to be seeing, is beyond human comprehension. How powerful is He? It is beyond our understanding. And here He is, here before the, Lord, before the devil, led there by the Spirit of God. He's moved from the wilderness to the extremity of the temple area. He's moved from that extremity to a very, very high mountain. And at that mountain, Satan shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And Luke says, in a moment of time, and showed him the majesty and the glory of it. You think of a man like Nebuchadnezzar, who looked at the glory of his kingdom, and he was memorized by that, and did not give God the glory for it, and God struck him down. And here is this similar temptation. Satan is bringing his arsenal and he is appealing to humanity's flesh, eyes, and pride of life. He is showing him the world. And I want us to remind ourselves that at this point, he was born king, right? Born king. And Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this earth. He was born king to be the king over the kingdom of who? Of God, of heaven. And yet, in being that king, God has decreed that he will get the whole thing. And so here he is before the devil being tempted. He appeals to the Lord's humanity. He offers to give him all the kingdoms, all the glory, 
All the desires of the flesh could be fulfilled. All the desires of his eye could be fulfilled. The utmost pride and self-confidence and self-assurance could be attained. But what is the price? It is a high price, isn't it? And the price is given to us in verse 9. All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Man is forever tempted to worship the creature or the creation versus the Creator. And here, imagine this, a created angel is saying to the God-man, fall under my feet and serve me and you can have it all. All without what? A cross. You could gain all this without learning obedience by the things you will suffer. You will gain all of your desires and all that your eyes can behold and all that your pride may desire if you would just bow down and worship me. It is a brass thing for a created being to tell God to bow down to Him and serve Him. And yet, isn't that what humanity does? Humanity always wants God at their control, at their beckon, to do their will, what they want to. These are all symptoms of that nature of which lost mankind has by natural birth. You are of your father who? The devil. And the lust or the desires of your father you will do. We see hints of that nature and desire all throughout this fallen world. And yet God has decreed that at one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and they will bow at this man, Jesus Christ, and they will confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, this is what Matthew is declaring again as his theme. That the Son of God is the promised King in whom will be all authority and all dominion. And of course you know that 1 Corinthians chapter 15 states that He is putting all things under His feet, but one day He's going to deliver it all up to who? To God Himself so that God will be all in all. Folks, that's a man that you can trust. A man who does not do what he does out of his own will or of his own desires or by his own sight or by his own pride. He's a man who's completely given to thinking God's thoughts, to walking in God's ways, to serving God in all capacities, even if it brings suffering and grief or becoming a man of sorrow, that's fine 
Because who I love with all my heart and soul and mind and strength is the Lord. That's a man you can trust to be in a place of dominion and power like that. He would exercise his stewardship appropriately and righteously. And folks, when we think about that, and we think about this king, Matthew 11, think about this, the one who defeated Satan here at this instant, in this circumstance, he says, come to me. The king of kings is saying, come to me. Why? I am meek and lowly of what? And you'll find rest for your soul. What a gift that is. This is our king. And here he is in the strength and power of God's grace, conquering temptation for our behalf. Now Jesus is emphatically offended by this temptation. It says in verse 10, Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Don't read that as if He's just calmly saying that. He is personally indignant that this type of temptation would even come to him. And folks, there are temptations, and when we recognize them, that we ought to recognize them by the offense that the devil is intending to give to us. Like, how dare you tempt me with not loving the Lord my God? How dare you? And Jesus Christ Himself says, You are my adversary. Note, all the way through, it's the devil. Here, it's Satan, the adversary. Go, Satan, for it is written, Leave my presence. Now, folks, I want us to realize that Jesus did not entertain the temptation He did not converse with the devil about this particular temptation. In fact, you could argue he didn't on any of the others either. He didn't even allow it to engage his mind. He directly rebukes this with telling the devil to flee from his presence. Now folks, what the devil is suggesting is just pure idolatry. But there is another passage that gives us more insight into possibly what is going on here. I've already referred to it indirectly, and that is in Matthew chapter 16. So it's in the same book, go over to Matthew chapter 16, where we have Not an identical Greek expression, but a very, very similar Greek expression that is used. Matthew chapter 16, and if you recall, this is where Matthew, Peter gives his great confession. You are Jesus, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. 
And in verse 21, Jesus begins to start teaching his disciples about his coming suffering. In verse 21 of Matthew 16, it says, From that time, from that confession, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be resurrected on the third day. And what is Peter's response? Peter's response is that he took Peter, he took the Lord aside. Now think about this. He's teaching the disciples publicly. Peter, as it were, takes him aside. It may have just turned the Lord to him. Because other passages say that the Lord turned and looked upon the disciples before he makes this statement. He takes him aside and he began to rebuke him. Now note the exclamation point. Peter is saying this with force, isn't he? God forbid it. This will never happen to you. This is the same Peter who said that he would take up a sword. And what does our Lord do? He looks around, verse 23, and he says to Peter, what? Get behind me, Satan. This is a much more subtle temptation along the same line of thinking. That which was in the wilderness, actually that which was on the very high mountain, was a direct confrontation. It would be like you seeing an angelic being in your room. That is, a direct con- that is a direct confrontation, isn't it? But folks, this confrontation is not that direct. Who's it coming through? It's coming through Peter. Is Peter... A born-again believer. He is a born-again believer. He's not doing it volitionally. He did not say to himself, Ah, this thought came from the devil, so therefore I'm going to do this. It entered his mind, and here's where the problem lay. The thought agreed with his own interest. It agreed with what man is interested in. And folks, what man is interested in are the desires of their flesh and the desires of their eyes and the pride of what? the pride of life. Now Peter's not yet glorified. 
And he's going to stumble again, isn't he? Folks, this is more subtle and deceptive than on that very high mountain because Peter is someone whom the Lord loves. Peter is a disciple. Peter is encouraging the Lord, and that's a mild word. He is rebuking the Lord under the disguise of a loving concern about the Lord. Does Peter love the Lord? Yes, Yes, he does. And you remember the Lord asked him three times after the resurrection, do you love me? And finally Peter just says, Lord, you know I what? You know I love you. He loves the Lord. And this one who loves the Lord and the one whom the Lord loves, this friend takes him aside with strong exhortation saying, this is not God's will for you. Folks, here's the great thing. Jesus recognized where it was coming from. Folks, was it coming from Peter himself? Was Peter actually the source of this? No. The source of it was the devil. And again, he uses the phrase, verse 23, Satan. This is the adversary that is at work. And he says to Peter, indirectly, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. And that's exactly what Satan was trying to do, right? He was trying to get him to fall, to trip up. And the reason why Satan was a stumbling block is because, and then I think he speaks to Peter here, you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but on who? Man's interest. And folks, it is true that you and I have to be discerning, even from people that we love, that we hold dear, that are genuinely converted people. Because we're not yet fully glorified, are we? Thoughts come into our minds, don't they? We have to capture those thoughts into the captivity of God's mind. And folks, the truth of the matter is, we entertain so many thoughts that are not in agreement with the Bible. And they seem good to us, they seem natural to us, They seem like, well, this would be the loving thing to do. It would be the loving thing for me to do is to keep my Lord from being killed. Right? 
But that was not God's will. Jesus came into the world to save His people from their sins. In order to do that, He had to give His life. And He had to be resurrected on that third day. So folks, I very seriously doubt that you're going to be tempted to set your mind on man's interest by a literal angel of light appearing to you. At least I hope not. But might we be tempted by another human being and their argument? The answer to that is what? Yes. And folks, this is why that I just emphasize over and over again, especially on major decisions, to the best of your ability, you've got to get in your Bible to try to discern the pathway that the Lord wants you to walk in. It's not just so simple as what I've heard preached before, Whatever's in your heart, do it. I mean, Nathan told David that, did he not? But then Nathan had to turn around and tell David, I know it's in your heart, but you can't do it. (laughs) We don't follow our heart. We follow the Scripture. And there is numerous maturities of different people There's numerous understandings of the Bible with different believing people, people who love the Lord like you and me. There are men that I look up to that in my estimation love the Lord and have suffered way more than I could even imagine and I really hold them in high credibility. But could they mess up? Yes. Why? Because they're men. (laughs) They're humans. our Lord could not mess up because He was the second Adam. He was the God-man. Jesus recognizes with Peter's confession and rebuke that what this was from Satan and He was wanting the Lord to set His mind on saving Himself. But He who saves His life will what? lose it. But he who loses his life for the sake of the Lord will find it. And folks, serving our own interest is a form of idolatry. So we go back to Matthew chapter 4. Jesus actually condemns Satan when he declares, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. He actually tells him and condemns him as a false god. Even Satan himself was created to worship the Lord his God and serve Him only. Right? And folks, the thing about it is, our Lord's going to bring this up later in Matthew chapter 6, when He says in verse 24, no man can serve two masters. 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Mammon. And folks, this is our greatest, one of our greatest temptations. We think that we can choose which master we want to serve depending on how it benefits us. If I want to serve mammon in order to get more money or more leisure and it doesn't look like anything's inherently wrong with it, that's okay. Then if I want to serve God, especially to get me out of a pickle or out of a dilemma or to help me through something, then that's okay too. Jesus says you can't do that. You've got to bow to one or bow to the other. Listen to it again. You cannot, you don't have the ability to serve God and at the same time anything else. You can't do it. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him. And I have this underlined in Matthew 4.10. Only. Only. And Jesus tells Satan to go. And what did Satan do? He left. Guess who's king? It's not the ruler of this world. It's the one who was born king. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus condemned and then exercised His authority and dominion over the highest of fallen angels. And folks, this tells us, this is along with the theme here, because when we get to the end of Matthew 28, He says how much authority is being given to Him. All authority is being given to Him. In heaven and on earth. Here we begin to see Him exercising His authority. And folks, I am so thankful, so thankful, that our Lord and Savior has authority and dominion over the highest fallen angel. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's even the king over the king of the kings of this earth. And he began that very, very early in his ministry to exercise that. Now look at what happens in verse 11. The devil left him, and note the text, and look at this. Behold. Folks, when the Bible says behold, you ought to what? You ought to pause and look at it. Look at this. The angels came and began to minister to him. The word minister basically means to serve. It's used in various capacities in our Bible, but I want to pick out three here, just hand-picked. It says that the women ministered to Christ out of their possessions. So what were they doing? They were taking of their possessions and serving them to who? To Christ Himself. 
In Matthew 25 and verse 44, it's translated to take care of. And you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, the angels came and the Bible says, strengthened him. But in Acts chapter 2, this same word is used when it is said it is not right that we should minister tables, serve tables. So folks, I think that what we're to see here is that the angels came and God the Father sent those angels to take care of or to take from God's own possessions or to serve food to Jesus Himself. And of course, is He hungry? He is hungry. He was still hungry when He got taken to the very high mountain. Did God fulfill Psalm 91 by delivering Him from temptation? The answer to that is what? Yes. And folks, Jesus Christ took God as His portion. And the Bible says, God is not ashamed to be called His God. This is a blessed verse where God the Father, of whom He said, this is My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, showed His love and care for His own Son. And brethren, when we go through fiery trials, God designs those fiery trials to purify our faith. Satan designs the fiery trials to tempt us to evil. When we go through fiery trials and we go through various temptations, there will be a season where the Lord will minister to you. He will show you His care for you. Temptations and trials ebb and flow. Aren't you thankful? There are times in our Christian lives where we are generally tempted with what 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, things that are common to men. Or as James says, the same sufferings that all the brethren go through. But there are also seasons where things are intense. Where there is in our soul wrestling and we feel weak and we feel in despair and we feel sorrowful and we are grieved Not in the Lord, though that may be a temptation, but in the trial. 
trials are not happy times. And we should not think they're strange. We have this thing floating around in Christianity today that to be a Christian means that you're to have joy, happiness, and encouragement all the time. Your New Testament does not speak that way. No chastening for the moment. You ever been chastened? No chastening for the moment seems to be joyful, but what? Grievous. And you can go through a season of grief. But the season of grief and the temptations that come come with something else. The temptation comes and then the provision to walk rightly comes with it. Did you hear that? You will never be tempted to the place where your only alternative is to sin. Never. 1 Corinthians 10.13 promises that. With every temptation, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will provide a way And He will give you the ability to endure it. Now let me ask you this question. Did God the Father give His Son a way through these temptations? Yes. Did He endure? Yes. And did God the Father at the end of that temptation show loving care? He showed Him loving care by giving Him the grace and the ability to endure it. But after that, did He show Him loving care? Did He do it with Job? Did He do it with Peter? Will He do it with us? And I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 as we close before we partake of this table. If there is anybody qualified in my mind to write about this, it would be Peter. This is the Peter of whom the Lord said, Get thee behind me, Satan, because your interest is on man and not on God's. Here is Peter, 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him. Now why would you be anxious? Because you're in a time of trial, of suffering. Casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be of sober spirit. 
be on the alert, your adversary, Satan, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Verse 9, but resist him. How do you do that? Firm in your what? Faith. Do you see the fiery trial? Firm in your faith. And folks, here's what you have to know. You have to know that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren, all your brethren who are in the what? In the world. All of God's people suffer. All God's people suffer. Now note verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, aren't you glad that word's in there? A little while? After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect you. That word means that He will restore or He would repair and He would equip whatever is needed to be done. How is He going to do that? The last three participles tell us. Confirm, strengthen, establish. That's how He's going to do it. What does it mean to confirm? Well, it means to be just firmed up in your faith. You're to resist the devil being firm in your faith, right? But you're in a fiery trial. It's a trial of your faith, right? But now, having gone through it and been purified, been restored, as it were, repaired, equipped, you're more firm in your faith than when you were before. He has confirmed you. And the winds and the waves that threatened to topple you before take a little bit stronger winds and waves to try to do that next time. You've grown. You've grown not only in the knowledge, but in the grace of Jesus Christ. It says that He will perfect you by strengthening you. You will grow stronger in His grace. You'll know that you came out the other side only by God. You will see Him working in your heart and life. And your knowledge of Him will increase. And your love for Him will deepen. And your fear from Him will be more holy. How does He perfect you? He establishes you. I love this word. It means to put under your feet a foundation. You are more settled on the rock of Christ than you were before. 
And brethren, you who have been saved for any amount of time know something of this. Look back 30 years. Look at how you've grown. Look at how you've wrestled through things. Look at how the Lord has given you endurance. You're still a believer today. Isn't that great? This is of Him. He's the one who keeps you. And He is laid underneath your feet a foundation that is Christ. And you are building your house on that rock. And the winds and the waves and the floods come. And they do what to that house? They beat on that house. You feel that? But it what? It stands. It resists the devil. <laughs> it may shake. It may quake. <laughs> but it's not going anywhere. And God's going to use this for His glory and for His majesty. With every temptation, there is a way of escape. <clears throat> With every temptation, there is given the grace of the ability to endure it. And when the season is done, He is going to restore, repair, and equip you. Did He do that to Peter? Folks, was Peter tempted? Did he deny the Lord? Did the Lord repair him? Did the Lord restore him? Did the Lord equip him? This man's talking from experience. And folks, you and I are going to stumble at times. And we're going to need to be picked up. And we're going to need our feet to be cleansed and our feet to be established and to be restored. And He will do it. He will do it. He has been tempted in all points like as we are, having no sin nature, but He conquered it. And He's our High Priest. And He's ever interceding for you. Did He intercede for Peter? Did Peter stand? Yes, he got picked up and he stood. And he's writing this wonderful letter to us. <clears throat> After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect you, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And we will all say at the end of that season, to Him, to Christ, be dominion forever and ever. And we say, Amen. Thanks be to God that He conquered temptation on our behalf. And thanks be to God that He walks in us and He matures us until the day that we see Him face to face. Let's go to Him in prayer.